You can't just apply a set of labels to someone and assume they're resilient. And by doing that, you're just putting them in a box and basically oppressing individuals and who they are and who their authentic self is. What what I'd rather do is understand how do people practice resiliency and build their resiliency muscle, knowing who they are and who their authentic self is. I think there's more magic in that than trying to create this quotient. Welcome, everybody, to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. I'm Ashley Carson. Join in my journey as we discuss resiliency, values, and leadership with friends, peers, and leaders. Well, welcome back to the Resiliency Podcast Theory. I am not Ashley Carson. (laughs) However, I am Rob Gregerson. I'm the producer of this podcast, and you might be asking yourself, why does this guy have the microphone? And that, my friends, is a good question. As a listener, one of the things that you might love about this podcast is Ashley's continued curiosity surrounding the subject of resiliency, as well as the stories and ideas of her peers on this topic. But today is an opportunity to shift the spotlight to our host and sort of peer under the hood to find out why resiliency means so much to her and how this passion came to be. So anyway, Ashley, thanks for being here. <laughs> You're welcome, Rob. Um, thank you. Yeah, you were incredibly difficult to get a hold of, but uh, we're here now. But why did you want to do this format? Like, why do you want me to interview you? Mm, yeah, I love that question, Rob. I think that I have had some really amazing conversations with leaders, peers, my friends, all related to this topic of resiliency. And I I just have really appreciated people holding space with me and, and being curious with me along this journey. And I thought it would be really interesting to flip the script and see, hey, do you still believe in some of those original theories that you started with. Uh, I've talked to so many individuals and and so many people have such insightful thoughts around resiliency and whether it's innate or it can be learned. And so I just, I wanted to share some of my story with the listeners and, and, and dig into why resiliency is such a passion of mine and, and where that intrigue comes from. That's a perfect transition into my next question, because one of the things I've obviously listened to all of your podcasts since I edit edit them, but uh, you do a great job of sprinkling in like glimpses of your story, but now we have the opportunity to hear sort of the things we never hear. Mm -hmm. And so my next question is, what tell us about you things we may not want to hear or may not want to hear that was a slip sorry we well you could tell us what we may not want to hear and that's okay too but um tell us some stuff that we may not know about you and then how is this kind of birth the idea or the passion for resiliency yeah yeah i'll i have all sorts of uh directions that my brain is running in right now. So let me see if I can focus. Um, so ultimately the, the podcast itself, it came out of my MBA program and in my MBA program, 
there were two really large projects that we had to do to graduate. One was uh, our capstone project. And for me, I, I competed in the business competition and I, I pitched this idea. It was called air and it's artificial intelligence recruiting revolution. And I, I, get the privilege and I'm humbled to support an amazing group of uh, uh, individuals who work on, on my people strategy team. And so from that, I'm always looking at, okay, how do I improve stuff and how do I create efficiencies? And that's where that idea of air spawned from. Uh, but the other project was around, what do you, how do you want to make an impact or what will your impact be? Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, that word impact is such a huge word. It's so nebulous. And so I sort of defined it as like, okay, how do I want to make a difference in the world? And uh, initially I had this idea, well, maybe I bring leaders together and we do some type of conference where we, you know, talk about development, culture, resiliency. Thankfully I pivoted, uh, literally months before COVID. And I pivoted to this idea of like, oh my gosh, I want to do a podcast and I want to do a podcast on resiliency. And so why resiliency though? Someone probably is curious about, and, and I have always been super interested in how people practice resiliency and why. And most of my intrigue, Rob, has come from my own personal lived experiences and and questioning how the hell did I become so successful throughout all of the adversity that I experienced Mm. year over year over year as a kid, as a teen, as a young adult, you know, into my middle age and, and thinking, what is that drive that keeps me going d- despite the challenges that that I that I have personally experienced? And so a lot of my curiosities around resiliency stemmed just from some of those own personal experiences. But then I wanted to learn from others. Like what is mm. their story and where have they been resilient? And and how do they practice it? Because w- we're all human. So practicing resiliency is different for every single person. And, and some of us can be practicing resiliency and it can be either positive or negative. And, and what I mean by that is like, I could be practicing resiliency and maybe the way I'm managing through this challenge or, or, or ad- adverse barrier issue is like maybe people self-medicate and that's the best they can do at that time in their life. Right. Or maybe they're like, okay, you got this, like put all that shit on the shelf and let's see how we can get and pivot to that next place that we want to be. So, so ultimately like it's just really stemmed from probably this concept of imposter syndrome that I had while I was in my MBA and just thinking about, wow, look at this (laughs) life around me that I've created and, and how is that possible? And if you think about all of the statistics that I, that I, I was a teen mom, you know, I lived in an addictive, abusive household. I was a single mother, you know, that was under the age of 25. I was, divo- I've been divorced uh, twice. And so when you think through just st- statistically, one might create a different story about where right. potentially I should be today. Yeah. So 
when did the word when did the word resiliency kind of appear in neon lights in your head? Yeah. And and one of the reasons I asked this, so you interviewed me, right? Mm-hmm. And um and I I had told you I didn't even think about the word resiliency mm-hmm. until you asked me to be part of this podcast. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious for you when were you able to name that? You went through mm-hmm. all of these, you know, all, all of this adversity and yeah. Wh- when was that? Yeah. I love that question. Ooh. You know, for the longest time, I used to just say that I am super driven and super ambitious. And I, I never assigned this term resiliency to my behavior and what got me to where I'm at. I thought it was more just my drive, you know, like I can get through hard. (laughs) Yeah. You can do hard things, you know? Right. (laughs) So, um, persevere. Yeah. Perseverance, grit, work ethic, drive, ambition, you know, wanting to not be the life that I lived as a kid. So that was sort of like my guiding light. I didn't want to live in that environment. I didn't want to recreate that environment for my child. I wanted nothing to do with it. And so that was sort of my motivation. And then I had all these other means uh, to get me to where I am today. But it's interesting. I, I actually think the term came about when I was going through this activity in school where I had to identify three inflection points in my life that have really changed who I am and and actually maybe not changed, but helped me become who I am today. And the activity was really interesting. You had to identify three and then you had to write 10 words to describe each. So 30 words each. And then you got this like 10 foot scroll and you had to draw each of those 10 words using only pictures, you couldn't write, you could only have like six words for the whole scroll. And this is 30 unique pictures. And, and then you had to tell your story to your classmates. And I I think it was in that experience that I started, I kind of pivoted and started thinking about more of my life from this place of resiliency, right? Being able to respond in the wake of challenge and adversity, being able to pick myself back up and get myself to school and continue to get good grades, right? Being able to navigate through really hard uh, separations and divorces and continue mm-hmm. to move on and move forward. And, and I think it was that activity actually that put really the word down on paper for me and became way more salient that that's what it was. Okay. It seems like it was like an aha moment for you. Like it answered quite a bit of stuff that you were searching for. Mm-hmm. Well, it answered it answered it, but then it made me so much more curious. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> right. right. I, was, I was like totally. a door oh. led to a door. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That's that's interesting. I'm also interested in the word theory. Mm-hmm. So you have resiliency theory. Mm-hmm. And theory is what I've been really curious about mm-hmm. with you. To me, that says, you know, I know some of the questions that you ask, and I'm sure if your listeners have, they would know as well that you're ending on this quotient. But why did you label it resiliency theory and not just resiliency? Well, that's a great question. I think it had to do with 
some of the mathematics, Rob, honestly, like I hypothesized that there is a quotient said differently. There are a set of values that make individuals more resilient than others. Right. So, so, you know, adaptability plus compassion plus curiosity plus, plus, plus then equals a more resilient individual. And so for me, I was trying to prove this, this theory I'd come up with in my head. Now, mind you, like, I don't have a PhD in resiliency. I don't have a lot of science to back this, but I would, but that's really where I started. I was, it was, I started from this place of like, is it a set of values that make someone more resilient? Other questions I was very curious about is, is it a gender thing? Right. Mm. Is it, is it based on education or academics? Is it based on your family makeup? Is it based on ethnicity? Like these were all things I started from before I shifted and I, and I found more curiosity in the value piece of it. And some of those other more quantitative metrics were really sort of brewing because I was daydreaming about getting my PhD, which I have, mm-hmm. of course, since abandoned that dream. Right. School. <laughs> but, yes. but, you know, so I think that's where the word theory came from is like, is there truly a mathematical equation uh, that makes people or individuals more resilient than others? And is your hope to find that equation and follow it? Yeah, I love that. I mean, my, my, so the answer is, I think initially, I wanted to understand what it was to be able to train people based on those values to help others become more resilient, right? Hence, making an impact in, in, in the lives of others or, and or many. But the reality is, I don't actually believe there's a quotient Spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead. (laughs) You're like, that was my last question. I know. Okay. Thank you listeners for joining us. (laughs) Yeah. No, go ahead. I actually, I had a really interesting conversation with one of my uh, previous guests and I think they made a really valid point. Like you can't just apply a set of labels to someone and assume they're resilient. And by doing that, you're just putting them in a box and basically oppressing individuals and who they are and who their authentic self is. And it wasn't, it's so interesting when I have these conversations, it wasn't until that moment. and, And it was with Sean Good, if you're interested in listening to that one, where I was like, oh my gosh, you're so spot on. Like, why would I want to create this mathematical equation of values that then make someone more resilient. What, what I'd rather do is understand how do people practice resiliency and build their resiliency muscle, knowing who they are and who their authentic self is. I think there's more magic in that than trying to create this quotient. Okay. Then that leads to the very uncomfortable question of asking, why do you continue to ask that question then Mm. at the end of, Mm -hmm. yeah. If you feel like you have a conclusion on it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a good question. I've been honestly reevaluating whether or not the question still adds value to, to the podcast. Sure. And I've somewhat, I, I haven't taken it out entirely yet. I think I'm still really interested 
to hear what others have. But what I'm more interested in is how they answer the question around what's their resiliency quotient. And so I think what it helps is like kind of preps them for what that question is um, and sort of helps set them up for like, wait a minute, now, now she's asking me what this is. Um, and, and so I, I think it's more for that. However, what I've heard and what I've experienced, Rob, which I think is really interesting is no one ever answers that question of like, my resiliency question is that I'm, I'm loyal and I'm honest and I'm funny. You know, it's, it's some other interesting narrative that helps them continue to have that perseverance or that drive or that resiliency. Yep. That's awesome. What a great answer. Were you ready to answer that? You sounded ready to answer that. <laughs> no, I, I hadn't. I don't know what any of these questions are. So uh, okay. I'm like every other, true. Like every other person that's interviewed. Right. I didn't even know the first three questions. So <laughs> I didn't either. We're going, we, friends, we're freestyling here. So can we talk about some of your personal experiences? Because Ashley knows that from, from my standpoint, and I, again, I talked about this in, when you interviewed me, story is everything to me in some ways. So do you mind touching in on some of those stories and talking about how resiliency played through them? Yeah, sure. Okay. I don't know where you want to start. I mean, you kind of have some highlights, but. Yeah. um, I think I'd probably start, I'll kind of take it to like a few inflection points in my life. Um, Okay. And, and maybe I'll weave in a little bit more here and there. So I think to start, so I'm a, let's see, a mother, a white woman, a lesbian, I'm in, I'm middle-aged and I'm a sister to one. And I think what, why uh, some of that is really important is just like my own personal story arc and how each of those components uh, have a particular um, value to me and a special place in my heart. And so I'll, I'll start with my sister. So my sister, she is two and a half years older than me. And um, we we were always very close growing up. And wh- why we were so close is we were basically caring for each other. Um, my, my parents would likely not be pleased by me saying some of this and sharing it, but it's my story and it's who I am. Um, But I, but I, I I was raised in an environment when I was really young where my parents um, did a lot of drugs and had addiction problems. And from the, both of them and, and out of that addiction problem, there was a lot of physical abuse and, um, my sister's name is Betsy. Betsy and I often witnessed that and or had to care for my for my mom, um, even at the youngest age. So we I was either caring for my sister or caring for my mom um, or vice versa. And as a kid, it's, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it was bad at the time, Rob, like, I thought that's what families were like, it was normal. It's normal, like, you know, putting your putting your mom in a shower and taking her out fully clothed to get her dressed. Cause she's so drunk. She can't get into bed. Like that to mm-hmm. me was normal. You know, I didn't think anything differently. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think Bets and I 
we just formed this really incredible bond as kids because ultimately the, the two people that you should be able to put your trust in and the two people that you as a child believe should be caring for you are like the people that you're caring for. But to that end, like every day I got up every day I went to school, right? Like I, Bets and I made our way. We, I I prided myself on being a straight A student. I always wanted to make my parents proud. Like I was always Mm. seeking some level of affirmation or approval. And I Mm. think whether that's because I felt some level of, um, I want to say the word abandonment, but I know that's going to be a really harsh word for people to hear, but, but you know, it's, it's true. You know, ultimately I, I wanted my, I, I wanted my mom to come pick me up from school, but not in her like hot pink sweatpants with a purple leotard and her old school seventies hiking boots, likely drunk, right? Like that's not the image I wanted as a kid. So, but I think what that forced me to do is to learn how to care for myself taught me a ton of independence, really reinforced, I think, what is innate in me and in my drive, and then ultimately pushed me to be hyper successful in school, um, Mm -hmm. in so much that I graduated in the top 5% of my class, and Mm -hmm. and every college that I applied to, I was accepted to. And then that brings me to like, this second inflection point. I met my son's dad, three months before I graduated high school. And I found out about a month out of high school that I was pregnant. And that in itself, like momentarily completely destroyed me. I was like on the floor in tears, Mm. just in like a puddle, not all I wanted to do was go to college and be a Rhodes scholar. And I wanted to be a lawyer and the first woman president. And I thought mm. I would never have kids and I'd be like the fun aunt. Yeah. Um, and it was hard. And, and what made it worse is there wasn't a lot of support from my family um, and my parents mm. basically, I'll say it as nice as possible, asked me to leave the house and didn't let me take any of my personal belongings. And so I was sort of f- forced into a position of like living with my son's father, which, you know, was not bad by no means, but certainly at 18, trying to figure out what any of this means to you. Again, the people that you should be able to go to and trust and lean on for support was lacking. And so it's sort of, I mean, I remember one day I bawled like all day long and you know, a couple of weeks probably passed and I finally woke up and I was like, get your shit together, Ashley. Like mm. you made this choice, right? Albeit, I'll be an accident. Mm-hmm. You see, I didn't say mistake intentionally because I do not believe my son was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I don't, I don't personally believe in abortion for myself, but I think females have the right to, for choice. That just wasn't my I was my just choice. about to ask that question to you. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you just said that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I also knew that I couldn't carry a baby full term and give it up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And so I just, there was like this interesting moment and, and switch, which I feel like is sort of what happens in these inflection points of mine where I finally get out of sort of that, I allow myself to grieve. 
I finally wake up and I'm like, okay, you have to move on and move forward. And then you, and then I just start planning for whatever that next chapter looks like. Um, and then I, I, yeah, please. Can I interrupt? Yeah. Um, was there part of you, by the way, in my mind right now, I'm thinking, okay, don't be therapy session, (laughs) go back to resilience and all of that. But I have so many questions about what you're saying. So I could just edit stuff out, but, um, were, were you thinking I could be the parent to my son that I didn't have for me? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You just gave me goosebumps, Rob. Um, that's, that's at least what I wanted to try and do. Right. Mm. Like that was my full intent. And, you know, I thought, well, gosh, golly, I can do this better or differently. And in fact, right. I, I did do it differently. My son might might argue it maybe wasn't better from his perspective, but <laughs> right. I think all of us have our own like lived experience and whatever that is. But absolutely, that was really important to me. Every decision I made going forward for him, actually every decision I made going forward was for him to create a better life and um, more stability, mm-hmm. a comfortable home you know, food on the table, his needs and his wants were met and really sort of like not sacrificing, but, but putting some of my own personal needs on a, on a, on the back table because he was certainly most important front of mind for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you, so let's pull away from your story really quick. I don't want to stop your story because I, I want you to keep going, but when we pull away from your story, are you seeing the birth of, re, of resilience? Mm-hmm happening childhood it's getting strengthened through this timeline that you're talking about yeah i'd probably say the if i had to pinpoint outside of all the the childhood stuff i think okay. there are probably a couple really distinct points when i was younger where i started seeing resiliency sort of come to life and also my Uh, I guess ability to like ask for help and uh, somewhat take care of myself. Yep. And uh, one of those was that story I started to allude to. We came home one night from my parents' friend's house and my mom was um, pretty lit and my dad Mm -hmm. like shoved it. They were fighting the whole car ride home and my cousins lived with us at the time. And my dad like took her out of the car, shoved her in the shower and I'm in there like helping her. And she's, she's telling me, Ash, you need to go get your sister and your cousins. We're leaving. I'm like, mom, you're not going anywhere where you're going is you're going to bed, dude. Like there's no mm-hmm. way I'm putting my cousins in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And you know, she was being a little resistant for a while. And I was just like, no, I'm not doing this. Like we need to, I, I we're going to be safe and you're going to go to bed and you're going to wake up tomorrow and we'll start all over again. And mm-hmm. while today was a hard day, like every day is a new day. And, you know, Mm. like, we'll just figure it out. And she finally went to bed. And, you know, in that moment, it was, it was interesting because I was probably like 11 years old telling my mother, basically telling her, like, I'm the Pollyanna one telling her, like, pick yourself up tomorrow. We'll have a new day. Um, But it, it, in that moment, it felt really true to me. Like I hold people in positive regard. And I think you're doing the best you can with faculties you have. And in that moment, that's all she had to give. Right. And so like, let's try it all over again. Um, and while living there, 
the part around asking for help while living there, it was a duplex. And actually we lived below three Nebraska Cornhusker football players. And I, oh my gosh, these guys, they were like, I, I was sharing a story with my friends a little while back and they were, they were almost like my guardian angels. And wow. I didn't really think about it at the time, but they were always so protective of Bets and I. So like if we couldn't get in the house or we needed to come upstairs or we needed, you know, like a soda or whatever, they were always there. And mind you, these guys were like maybe 21, 22, 23, right. you know, like why would they care about two small kids? But they were the kindest gentlemen ever. And they sort of allowed me this space to be a kid um, while also in like this, at least for me, trusted environment. Um, And so it was, that felt nice to be able to create that space with those individuals. And then, and you want to know what's really interesting, Rob, is I, I recently looked at the roster because I really wanted to try and find these guys. Uh Um, And I think I, I don't, I need to ask my sister because I remember one of their names and I was having a moment where like, of course the internet only gives you so much information. So I found the roster. I sort of tried to follow that through that through point. And sadly I found that I think one of them is maybe no longer with us. And so I, I have stopped, I have abandoned my research because I was really sad in that moment. I was like, oh man, that's not what I wanted to learn. Right. Right. (laughs) <laughs> we want to bring this guy on the podcast, man. Let's hear some stories. <laughs> totally, totally. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh my gosh. Oh man. And then that's so that's so incredible though. I like the fact that you were having to be a parent at too, way too young of an age. And I'm saying way before your son was born. Uh your child parent. And then you have these you said guardian angels above <laughs> you that were looking over you. That's incredible. You talk about goosebumps. That's where mm-hmm. I am right now. So anyway, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't express it at the time, but reflecting back, I I feel super grateful that I I knew them and they were a part of my life for a reason, right? Sort of mm-hmm. that old adage right. of like people come into your lifetime, your life for a lifetime or reason or a season. And so I definitely right. think there was some reason for them to be there at that point. Um, Mm -hmm. And I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about that until recently when a friend was asking me more questions around it. Incredible. I love it. Uh, Yeah. I love it. Okay. So, um, so son is born, Mm -hmm. you single mom, dad takes off, sticks, sticks Mm -hmm. around. Yeah. So we, we sort of, um, Sorry, I'm just pausing because I'm thinking about like, so we stayed together for about six years. And on our mm-hmm. uh, fifth year, we ended up getting married, albeit we probably should have never gotten married. Reason being is that I was gay. And at the time, I when I met his dad, my son's dad, I had uh, closeted myself uh, again. And so why I say it that way is sort of the second inflection point is um, when I was 15 years old, this was our second move back to Texas. I, my parents were letting me live at my friend's house 
Um, and her mom and my parents were all amenable to it. And, um, I had to come home every weekend and the drive home was about 60, 60 miles. So I didn't get to do any like fun friend stuff on the weekend, but at least I got to go to school with my friends that I loved and adored. And we were all super eccentric kids. Like on bomb threat days, we wrote dead Kennedy, uh, lyrics all over my legs. And then of course my U.S. history teacher tried to send me to the principal's office and I ignored that. I was like the most eccentric kid ever. So, uh, and I loved it. I leaned into it. Yep. I'm totally picturing you from my high school years. I'm like, yep, I know that one. Yeah. And, um, one of my drives home with my dad, uh, I thought, okay, here's the moment, right? Like, here's the moment I can try and be authentic, share with a parent, again, someone who should be open to hearing and, and allowing you to be authentic. And I told him on our drive home, I was like, uh, dad, I have something to tell you. And I was excited to tell him because I, I think I always wanted my dad's uh, basically approval. And, and so I always went to him first, which is interesting considering other relational like boundaries we had. But yeah. so I said, dad, I, I have something to tell you. And he's like, oh yeah, what is it, Ash? And I said, uh, dad, I think I'm a lesbian. And my dad, we were in, we were on like a four lane freeway. He basically slams on the brakes from the fourth lane, swerves all the way over to the uh, off ramp or whatnot, or the side of the road. And he's slams it on, slams on the brakes, puts it in a park. And he like leans over and he starts basically screaming at me that I'm not allowed to be a lesbian and that people in our family are not gay and we're not allowed to be gay. And I just sat there. I felt so small and I felt, uh, so ridiculous. And I felt, I don't, I just, I was so sad, Rob. Right. Like I finally, I, I finally could put words to what I was feeling. Like I was in love with my best friend at the time. And like, I loved her brown hair and she had these cute outfits from her mom in the sixties. And she had all these Beatles albums and like, we just had a great time together. But like, it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that I could finally name an emotion yeah. that felt really true to me. Yeah. And, um, and so I, I, I basically, you know, uh, closeted myself for a long time. I didn't really date anybody at all. I think I dated one guy in high school and then I met my son's dad and this happened <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, well, holy crap, like what the hell is happening? But you know what? Like, I think where my resiliency came out is like, I believe that Christian was my kiddo. Like I, I do believe in some level of like fate or destiny. Mm-hmm. That's a different podcast that we could get into. Cause I know people have different differing opinions about that, but I think at a minimum, like he and I were meant to be in each other's lives and, and what better way to create a good life for him than to try and live the life with his dad. Right. And, mm-hmm. and create stability and structure and, mm-hmm and moving past that challenge. And, and again, I'll use the word pivoting, pivoting to like where my next chapter should be. Right. And what my Mm -hmm. next focus should be. And, and so we tried, you know, we tried for a long time and, you know, our breakup was really painful and, and really hard and really disappointing. Um, But I also have thanked him since. And Mm -hmm. I also have told his dad, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And 
him and I are still friends. Like we, when I was home last winter, we all grabbed coffee with our, our son is Christian and, and my new wife. And we just hung out as like a, a, you know, a blended family, albeit like awkwardly a blended family. Right, right, but, right. But it works for us. Yeah, not leave it to Beaver. <laughs> <laughs> By no <Yeah>. means. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow, that's amazing. You know, going back, one of the things I keep thinking about is um, you were so determined, right? Like you mm-hmm. had these path, you like you were blazing the path you thought you had, mm-hmm. and then this whole another world opens up, and here, here you have to, you know, go not go a different way, but you're trying to be true to yourself is, mm-hmm. is one of the things. Um, I, I don't want to stop you from your story, but I, I do have a question. And I think you asked this question when mm-hmm. we, which is you had so much adversity when you were younger. Mm-hmm. Did that inform your resiliency? Mm-hmm. Like does adversity and resiliency directly correlate? Correlate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It sounds like you host this show. Um, <laughs> time, sorry, to time. <laughs> time to time. Time to time. Yeah. Um, you know, it's an interesting question. I think that my short answer is yes. I think that adversity can teach someone to be resilient or said differently, adversity creates environments for people to build their resiliency muscle and, but yeah. I, but I also, and the reason I'm not saying it's so black and white is because I actually, I do think there's an element that is, that is the responsibility of the person, right? So like what I did with some of those life experiences uh-huh. could have either continued to build my, my, my resiliency muscle and, or potentially shifted the course of, of the direction I was going or, or potentially like my drive or perseverance. And so, you know, I think it, right. so I think, I think yes. And, and if you think about my, my definition of resiliency, it's um, how people respond in the wake of adversity and challenge. Right. So first off how we respond, right. Everyone's yeah. allowed to grieve. Everyone's allowed to be mad. Everyone's allowed to be sad. Everyone's allowed to have an emo you know, fucking pissed off at your parents because you yep. want them to love you or whatever it is. Yep. Excuse my language for those that don't like cussing. Um, Sorry, mom and dad. Keep going. Exactly. <laughs> but then it, but then it's like, okay. So, so then how do you let go was, was my former definition, but also pivot. So like, I do think there's this element of letting go of the construct of what you thought the image you had in your head of your life, right? Like I had to let go of my dreams of being a a college volleyball player, which by the way, I made it as a walk-on. I had to let go of all of those, yeah, my road scholarship. I had to let go of becoming a lawyer. Like that wasn't who I was going to become. And so I had Mm -hmm. to set all that on the shelf to be able to allow myself to pivot to where where I needed to go or, or where my, where my journey was taking me. And I think those aspects can be really hard sometimes for people to, to, to let go and to, to pivot and, or take the risk to let yourself Mm -hmm. pivot naturally, right? That risk piece is really scary. And, And then, 
And then I also think for me, there's this element of learning. Like, how do you become a better version of yourself? So like through each of those experiences, Rob, I could tell you all the things I learned about myself or like what I wanted to do differently. And, and also I know I play a role in that, you know? Mm -hmm. So like with my separation from my son's dad, it was hard and it was hard for a very particular reason, but I hundred percent played a role in how we got to that point. And, and I could, I could name that. And I have shared that with him since. Yeah. Do you think, so you sounded very resilient when you were trying to separate yourself from your true identity that you knew, right? Mm -hmm. So did that resiliency from leaning into who you truly were, what, what, uh, I don't even know the question I'm trying to ask. What, how did that help you? You mean like when I closeted myself? Yeah. Mm. And I guess, I guess this is what I'm trying to say is, is there an unhealthy resiliency and is there a healthy resiliency? Mm. Good question. I think that's a great question, Rob. Um, I think the answer is yes to both. Actually, um, I think in that regard, that was a very unhealthy resiliency, but it was the only way that I could remain, I'll just quote unquote, stay healthy in that family structure, right? I, I could I could have fought against my dad. I could have continued to like move down that pathway, but I also knew what my life experience was. And I didn't want to recreate any of those scenarios from my childhood. So I knew in, innately that I needed to take the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. Wow. We've talked about your personal resilience. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm curious, I, I want to talk about how does it apply to everybody? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So like one of the questions you have is, do you think all people have some level of resiliency? Mm. That I think is an interesting question mm -hmm. and you kind of answered a little bit, but what would you say directly to that? Yeah. I mean, I think my, my short answer is yes. I do think all people have some level, um, but I think it goes back to, my, my part of my other answer when I was talking about the definition, it's like how people respond, right? So I think mm -hmm. if you can, so I now think of resiliency as like an equation <laughs> and it's not about values. That's not my equation anymore. It's like, it's like respond, how you respond in the wake of adversity and challenge. How do you let go allowing space for you to pivot? And then what do you learn to right. be a better version of yourself. And so I do think all people have some level of resiliency, but what I, what I also want to highlight here is like, I'm not going to be Pollyanna and think everyone knows how to practice it or has psychological safety and space to practice it because ultimately like to build your muscle and to fail and to fail forward and take risks, you often have to feel like you have safety in doing so. And so while I think people have it. It's a matter of like, what is their construct or what is their, what, what are their lived experiences and does it allow them to practice resiliency? You, you work in HR, uh, obviously, although it has a different name at Vera. What, what is your title name? 
Yeah. So I'm the chief people officer at Vera and um, it's very intentional. We, we don't believe that humans are resources. And so when I started, gosh, almost seven years ago now, we changed the title to people strategy. How do you, how do you encourage people in resiliency at work? Yeah, that's a really great question. With their own resiliency. Yeah. So I would say there are a number of different things that we do organizationally. We have a whole health council that I'm the exec sponsor of. Um, one of the things that group does is offers resiliency moments at the end of our team esteem meeting. Um, they're currently working on some like resiliency deck, like almost our mindfulness cards, um, but just how to practice resiliency. Um, that whole group is really focused around well-being and mental health. I think for my my direct employees, who first I just want to say, like, I feel like the luckiest boss in the world because I am so humbled by these individuals and they're like the most incredible humans that I get the privilege of supporting. Like they're doing all the hard work and I get to help lead them. And that's so freaking awesome. Like there's not a lot of people I think get to say that. And so I I just, I think that's always really important to honor. Um, But I think for my team, like I do a lot of work around letting them take risks, Rob, letting them like drive the creativity, letting them come to me with their vision and like, us talking through it and creating a space where it's, there's trust, there's psychological safety, there's like true connection. Like I consider these people, not just my employees. Like I think that word sometimes is, can be so like lifeless there. I consider them friends. Like I will often say, what do you need from me today, friend? Um, you know, and I, I think, I think it's just giving them opportunity and space to, to, to practice and, to, to take risks, to challenge themselves. Right. And then, and then they allow me the space to offer them feedback and sort of bounce ideas back and forth. And so that's a really important, those are really important traits and attributes and practices that I do with my team, which I, I, you know, certainly think allow them the space to, to practice resiliency. That's amazing. Yeah. I've, so for the listeners, uh, my wife, Lindsay and Ashley worked together at Vera. Lindsay no longer works there. And she would have echoed the same thing. Like that's some of the stuff that she absolutely loves there. And, and that's amazing. With all of the people that you've interviewed on this podcast, what are some of the things that have stuck with you? Mm, that's a good question. I really appreciated in my podcast with Marilyn Gist just the conversation around being a humble leader. Mm. Um, She wrote a book around being a humble leader and we spent a lot of time talking about it. And I think that it is important to practice humility, right? Mm. And, and, And let other people shine. And as a leader, like even if my team is kicking ass, I'm not taking credit for that. I'm giving them all the credit for it because they deserve it. Um. So I think that conversation really stood out to me. I think my uh, conversation with Sean Good around not applying identities or um, labels to people, because uh, ultimately that's just continuing to create, you know, an oppressive 
society that mm-hmm. will hold people back or potentially, you know, continue to perpetuate years of oppression, which is of course not what we want to do. Right. Um, I think my first podcast with KB was super fun. Like it just, she, she's my friend. So it was a really easy sort of entry point into this line of questioning. And man, was she curious about resiliency too. And she's, yeah. she's, she's actually, um, the one that call, that sort of put terms to the word values audit and also hmm. uh, the quotients. She sort of summarized it that way. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that totally fits my mathematical brain. Um, and then, um, I think my, my podcast with, uh, Lisa Salento, um, that one was really, gosh, how do I even start? So, so Lisa Salento was, um, living with terminal cancer. Um, she's no longer with us, but Mm. yeah, exactly. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I'm Mm. sorry to hear that. Yeah. She passed away. Oh gosh. Probably about four or five months ago now, something like that. Mm. But, you know, what was really, really um, interesting is this concept of uh, she was she was living with cancer, but she was still choosing to suffer well, right? And this mm. idea that, like, she can't do anything about it, but, but she can certainly continue to live her life. And... Mm. And, 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 and live it and live a good life. Right. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, holy cow, what an incredible mental reframe, right? Like mm-hmm. I, I can't even, that was sort of, um, that, 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 that podcast sort of changed my opinion. I, I initially started thinking that I should only interview, um, leaders and, 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 like peers. And in interviewing Lisa, I was like, oh my gosh, why don't I just interview? I get, everyone has a story. So why don't I ask other people what their story is and then share that with people? Because it's less about like, um, it's less about resiliency itself, but like people's personal stories and how they've gotten to where Mm -hmm. they're at and how they practice it. And so that sort of changed my perspective. And then I think one that has not been published yet um, with Karen Rhodes. She's actually the individual who talked a lot about um, pivoting. So she she liked this concept of letting go. Um, but she's like, why don't we think about it from this place of pivoting? And so then it has less of this like negative connotation that oh gosh, I have to let go of that idea of the two-car garage, the 2.5 kids, the perfect marriage, you know, in suburbia. And like allow mm-hmm. yourself to pivot. And so I think those have been a few, a few of, of the, the, the points that have really stood out to me that have sat with me throughout the journey. Now, what I would say is like all of the people I've interviewed have brought, have brought really interesting points right. to the conversation, right? Jen Armstrong talked a lot about mindfulness and how important mindfulness is to um, resiliency, there was a couple that I interviewed where they talked a lot about being courageous um, and how that lends to resiliency. But I think it's really the ones where like, they, they sort of like, uh, they made me take a pause and think about my own personal uh, yeah. ideals around resiliency that really stand out to me. 
you you have an amazing way of being self-reflective mm-hmm. and it shows through the podcast. I think as as a listener myself, what has been so interesting is you'll have somebody come on and they'll kind of give their title and I'll go, I have nothing in common with this person. And I have to edit this. I don't think like that. I'm not like, oh, I got to edit this thing. But it's just like, oh man. And then you get to the end, you're like, there is this connection between all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, and and we can all learn from each other. And I, I think that that's what's so awesome about this podcast is you're giving a window into the mind and the soul and the beliefs and everything of, of, of people. And it's, it's really awesome. Okay. I think my last question I'm going to ask you is where do you see this podcast going? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, truth is, is I've been asking myself that same question for a while. Um, I, I've been really trying to figure out. So one, I don't know that that's my, that's my short answer. Um, my long answer is, I want to, I want to take it uh, and I want to continue to try and expand it into a program's the wrong word, but some type of program, product, service for, to, to be able to give other people opportunities to practice resiliency, right? Again, mm-hmm. while your values help you practice resiliency or resiliency allows you to practice your values, I think it's more in some of the other um, theories, I'll use that word, around self-compassion and mindfulness and like being adaptable, like understanding some of those and being able to practice those in this safe space, having psychological safety that Mm -hmm. I think could help all of us be more resilient individuals as long as the space is allotted for. And so I'd love to figure out a way to convert some of this. I want to keep interviewing people because I absolutely love the conversations. And every time I have one, I get so excited and I'm just so energized after the end of the call. Um, But I'd also love to, I've also been brainstorming, like, how do I pivot this, right? Um, How do I pivot it into maybe a resiliency coaching platform, Um, starting with like a values audit and then helping people navigate their resiliency reflections and, you know, helping them in their own journey and giving some tools along the way for them to practice outside of that environment. So I've certainly been brainstorming it. Um, and I've, I've started uh, sort of playing around with a couple different platforms and things that I've been thinking about, but uh, nothing official to launch just yet or announce yet. Uh, but certainly, you know, I've, I've been, I've, I've been, I've been brainstorming and I, I have a, a dear friend who is also a coach um, she's been really pushing me to, to think about this and, and helping me to get some clarity, which I have found extremely helpful. That's awesome. Friends, the resiliency theory empire is coming your way. We're just, <laughs> just a couple years away. And then we're, we're taking it. Move over, Elon Musk. Here we come. Um, <laughs> is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, I, you know, those are the things I was curious about, but is there anything else you want to say or? You know, I think the, yeah, I love that, Rob. I mean, first of all, I just uh, want to acknowledge you uh, as always. Thank you for holding space with me. And in this regard, like, um, thanks for letting me share more of my story. 
I don't, I don't, I don't often end up in a, in a scenario where it's the right time to share all of that stuff that sort of personally defines who I am, or at least has shaped who I am. And so I really appreciate you holding that space with me and, and just digging into more about resiliency and why it's so intriguing and where my passions are, are uh, where they stem from. So I, I love having this conversation with you. There's no better time than when a microphone's in front of you to spill your heart out, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, or or they, make you yeah. really uncomfortable, right? But either or way, make you really... <laughs> I think it's yeah. important to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yeah, totally. I, I was telling a, a friend of mine, I have my own podcast. I was telling a friend of mine uh, or a co-host that I don't know why I find it so easy to spill over a microphone. And I think it's because I can't see people's reactions to me, right? Like, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to put it out there. And hopefully, you know, hopefully people will somehow find something out of it. But this is awesome. Thank you. Do you want to sign off or you want me to sign off? Um, yeah, I'm happy to sign off. Uh, okay. So uh, again, thank you, Rob. And thanks to all of my listeners. I'm really excited. This is going to be my first episode of season two. And I love being able to hold space with Rob and be able to continue this journey with uh, all of you as it continues to expand and grow. So really looking forward to um, all of us practicing our resiliency muscle. Okay. Love it. Bye. All right. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye, everyone. I'm Ashley Carson. Thanks for listening to the Resiliency Theory Podcast. Our journey of learning and my quest to understand resiliency continues. Check out my blog at resiliencytheory.com to continue this conversation. Or if you want to listen to my next podcast, follow me there. If you'd like to connect with me, there are a few ways. You can follow me on my Instagram page at Resiliency Theory or my LinkedIn page at Ashley Smith Carson. You can also email me at hello at resiliencytheory.com.